Let's open our Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 18 for our first message this morning on prayer. 1 Kings chapter 18. I'm trusting that uh, even from this morning and the messages to come, there'll be some things that if maybe you may not learn uh, that you can use that will help you uh, because uh, the, I guess the reason we ask is so that we might receive in order that we might get prayers answered according to what those things we're petitioning of the Lord to perform. And uh, that's a desire for all of us. There'd be no reason to pray if we didn't believe that God was able to answer and do the things that are given to us in Scripture and, and the things that we're allowed and privileged to come before His throne boldly to obtain the mercy and help in time of need. And I believe this morning I'll share a few things that can be helpful uh, to you on this uh, 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 great opportunity that we have as Christians to be able to come uh, to the Lord in prayer. Probably the greatest gift that we have in our, our Christian life is that comes with our salvation is to be able to have the intimacy with Christ, conversation, to be hear from Him, and for Him to hear of us. He He knows us, and uh, and so throughout the Scripture, a lot of references on prayer. I, I do believe as well that uh, the Lord has led me to this because. Uh, uh, this is important for the days ahead at Salem Baptist at all times, praying. Uh, but you'll see that we're going to take some uh, uh, very uh, intentional times to lead the church into prayer and to come together maybe for some things in specific and uh, for God to open doors and to be able to reveal very clearly to us His purpose and His plan and His presentation in our church. So. Uh, so let me, if I may, just take these next four to six weeks and maybe longer as the Lord leads and uh, bring some lessons very throughout the scriptures about praying. And so this morning, I wanted to introduce a lesson before we pray, uh, what should we do even before we come to the prayer time? What happens before prayers are answered? Uh, let's put it this way. Uh, these are some things in this scripture that gives to us what we should do before we pray. What should you be doing before you pray? And I want to introduce to you some applications from this story here that I think that will be helpful to us. I just want to go down to verse number 38 and get the answer. Look in 1 Kings 18 and verse number 38. The Scripture says, Then the fire of the Lord fail. That was in essence what Elijah was asking of the Lord. He didn't particularly pray it that way, but in his heart he wanted to see God demonstrate something in front of these Israelites who have erred from their ways and started following and having two gods, the true God and then Baal God. And so we'll get to this story in just a moment. But the answer came, then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the altar and the burnt offering and the wooden stones and so forth. And we'll see that at the end of our time together this morning. So hold on to that thought before we get into some of the answers we're looking for as to what happens uh, before prayers are answered. And I'll introduce that to you here in the text in just a moment. But let me give you just a little background on this story if I can. Uh, we're well familiar with the prophet Elijah and uh, listen and watch those stories in chapter 17, and chapter 18, chapter 19 of Elijah. Uh, some call him the prophet of fire. Then Elisha comes on the scene that 
chapters after that, and, and uh, he's a prophet of water, but, but nevertheless, the prophet of fire, Elijah. And, and coming from this passage here in chapter uh, number 18. And so we have some familiarity with Elijah. Uh, these were desperate times in Israel during these days. And, uh, and notice sometimes that the worst of times introduce us to, to huge opportunities in order to enter into the best of the times. And so uh, we know all things work together for good to those that love God. That's the worst of times and the best of times. Blended together, God has a purpose for those that love the Lord. And they're going through what we would call the worst of times, the worst of times even spiritually on their journey here. Uh, the kingdom had been divided, and, and uh, this was a tremendous drought going on during this time, a lack of fresh water that was needed, and uh, it hadn't rained for a while, a uh, very difficult time. Uh, God's people were erring away from His love and His commands and uh, His leadership and starting considering another leader of a different kind, a false leader, a false god, Baal. Ahab was uh, kind of had a number of his prophets that were kind of in that category, in that territory. A difficult time. So Elijah's on the scene. And though he could have expressed his positional authority to move the people back to God and to preach and so forth, whatever was needed, he was using his influential authority. It's wise as a leader to know those two types of authority. While you may be in a position of authority, Dad, you may be in position of authority, chairman of the committee in the church. You may be in a position of authority as a leader or a staff member or as a pastor. But notice how things happen in more congruency when rather than waiving the positional part of my leadership to be able to put before the people the influence that speaks louder words. I often believe this about leadership, that more can be accomplished with the group you are leading if you lead by influence rather than authority. You may have that right, and you may have that position. So Elijah steps that aside, and he begins to have the people watch what he does by his influence. He's done this before, and his testimony is being known by the influential power that he has. And so on this mount th today, Mount Carmel, he is going to show the people by his testimony. The people are going to watch him. He gathers them together. He wants them to hear his prayer. I want people to hear me pray. There's no positional authority there. It's his, the influence he has as God's man. And so he's using his influential authority for God to move among the people and to see their hearts transition to where it's actually transformed. And that's the end of the story in just a little while. And so here he is. And by the way, his influence still rings today. Listen, his influence is still ringing today because you've got your Bibles open to one chapter in the Bible where he's mentioned. There's an influence right there. Even James the half-brother Jesus was influenced by old Elijah. James has more verses about prayer, 14 uh, verses in the book of that short book alone is referencing the prayer. And he brings us to a man who had great influential authority when he prayed in 1 Kings chapter 18. And he mentions James himself. 
And so what an influence Elijah is as we enter into this story and uh, as he's moving forward in this way and how God is about to answer prayer. I, I, I think you know the, the blessing of prayer, do you not? Uh, aren't you glad that you can go to God humbly before his throne of grace? And you are privileged to be in that place. And as you bow before him and seek his face and seek first his glory, aren't you glad for that model prayer? Jesus showed us how to, how to do this prayer thing. He said, man, when you come into God's presence, you better recognize the Lord. Don't you rush and get there quickly. The psalmist even told, hey, but boy, boy, you enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. You're not even a house of prayer yet. You're just out, outside the doorway, you see. And Jesus said that, you know, when we come before God, we hallow his name, the highest form of praise. We're praying for God's glory, for his kingdom come. That's the desire of every Christian. His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're seeking the righteousness of God in my life, in my pathway today. And then he closes that model prayer Jesus gives it. And by the way, that's not the Lord's Prayer. Don't, don't, call, don't call that our Father in heaven the Lord's Prayer. You want the Lord's Prayer, go to John 17. That's where you'll find the Lord's Prayer. That's where he prays for you, the first six verses. Then he prays for his disciples. And then he prays for uh, those of us that are now on this earth as his followers of Jesus. Uh, the whole chapter of chapter 17 is a, is, is a prayer of our Lord. This is a model prayer that he introduced to us. And so notice he closes that thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. There's a pattern model of prayer. And so as Moses, is, uh, Elijah is introducing us and showing us his influence of prayer, uh, there's something tremendous about the glory of God. You'll see in his actual prayer in verse 36 and verse number 37. But Daddy, you say this about prayer, and I've learned this a long time ago. He, he said, you work as everything depends on you. And you pray as though everything depends upon God. Someone else said it this way to me a long time ago. When there's no source and there's no resource and there's no course and there's no recourse, you then have your ticket to be able to go to God in prayer. You, you see, you know, there's some things you don't need to pray about when you're in a struggle and having a problem. What you got to do is work out your own rescue your own salvation if god has a means if god has a source and he has a course you 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 seek that measure first you do what you can do for yourself first i've had a lot of issues in my house i got one of them old houses <laughs> and there's a whole lot of things around my house i don't go to a prayer closet i'm going to pray about I know good and well God has given me sources and resources and courses and recourse that I can do, and I've got the ability to get some things done myself, and I don't pray about those things. I don't do that. You pray as though, you, you pray and ask God to do things where there's no one on this earth can do it for you. That's when you seek God, you see. Sometimes you may need wisdom about what to do. You may need God to show you the course and the source and the way out, you see. I, I tell people, when you're sick, take your medicine. Will you pray with me? I, have you taken your medicine? Have you called your doctor? Have you, ha, ha, do, do you know what you can do to, to, to maybe feel a little better today? Has God given you any means and measures to move forward in your illness? 
So prayer isn't the only thing to take care of your illness. God's provided a lot of things among us. And so we pray as though everything and only things that depend upon God to do that I can't do, my wife can't do, a preacher can't do, no one else can do. That's when I come boldly to his throne and say, God, I need you to do some things that are exceedingly abundantly above anything that I could ever ask or do myself, you see. And so prayer is that gift that God's given to us to be able to use in a time and sometimes it's a time of desperation, and that was the hour in 1 Kings chapter 18. It was a desperate time for God to do something that no one else could do. You know what really Elijah was asking? He was asking God to turn these people who are following a false god back to him. That's what he was asking, petitioning. God changed these backsliders' heart to worship you once again. Bring them back to their roots. Allow them to hear your word and your commands to follow them. That was the urgency of his prayer. It wasn't, Lord, send the rain down and in this time of drought, and, and Lord, light this wood to show people I'm a good Christian and I can get my prayers answered. And that, No, no, he had a purpose. And he was praying for God to do something that was desperately needed among God's people. And so, let me give you some applications. Uh, let me say this before we introduce this lesson to you about application. Here's what I believe about Scripture. I don't know if you've thought of it this way. The Bible, a passage of Scripture or a verse in the Bible or a chapter of the Bible, listen to me, it only has one proper and right interpretation. Okay? Scripture has only one right and proper interpretation and God knows what he meant that to be you and I need to study to show ourselves approved unto God to know and to rightly divide the truth of God has one interpretation what well, I think it means this and I think it means that somebody's wrong there's only one or maybe both of them there's only one interpretation let me give you a second thought when you look at Scripture, there can be many applications. That's important in Bible study and devotional times together, is what is God saying to me? That's the interpretation. What does His Word say? Rightly divide it. And then, what am I to do with His Word? There's the application there's a response, and it may come on several levels. I, I like studying the Scriptures. I think teachers do a good job than just standing up interpreting Scripture to us all day long and all week long every Sunday. Please help our people to apply God's Word, teacher. Give us areas in our life where we can make this live in the morning. Man, let's put some peanut butter on this bread, can't we? How, how can we apply God's interpreted word in our life, be able to digest it in a way that honors the Lord. There's many applications to the single interpretation of Scripture, and so we begin to apply Scripture. If I could say one other thing, and this is just me, this is not, this is not theology, I believe there's one interpretation to every Scripture. There are many applications, but there are no implications in the Bible. God's not trying to imply anything. He's trying to get it across very clear. So uh, I, you know, I'm going to throw a bone out there and let you figure out what I'm trying to say. No, 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 no. It's not like that. He's, it's clearly in Scripture, but there's no implications. But today I want, 
I want to do something about prayer that I think is going to be helpful to some people here today. I, I believe this about this message this morning. Some of y'all are going to do it. I'm getting ready to show you. You're going to find out that you've not been doing anything before you pray. You just jump right in the throne room and ask God to fix everything that's broken in your life. And you feel good about that process. How's it working? <laughs> What's going on? You get everything you want? God really moving in your prayer time. You know, if he did that, you, you know, I, I would think that it would just motivate me to want to spend a lot of time in prayer if I felt that way about my prayer life. If I was having great success, why would I give that out for anything else in life? God hears me and does what I ask him to do. I get answered prayer. And so I'm going to give you a lesson this morning. I'm going to reprimand a few of y'all this morning, if you don't mind. Pay attention. I believe you're making a great mistake and you are not honoring the Lord when you start your prayer time without doing the things I'm getting ready to mention. It's very clear in Scripture what we need to do. Let's go to our first lesson this morning. Number one is to repair. Look in 1 Kings 18 and verse number 30. 1 Kings 18 and verse number 30. Then Elijah said unto all the people, Come near to me. And all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. He repaired something. We're looking in a passage this morning, trying to make some applications to prayer as to what Elijah did before he prayed in verse number 36. Here are some things that Elijah did before he prayed. Okay, that's Point number one, and you're going to see he repaired an altar that was broken down. Now, if you read the previous verse, he'd had conversation with Ahab about the 450 prophets that were leading, that his people, the Israelites, were following and listening and had their bent ear towards. He got fed up with it. He said, you know what, about time God would use me to make a great influence on my people. I don't think he was trying to reprimand and hurt Ahab and what he was and who he was. He could have done that another way as a, as a positional authority in his prophet as a prophet. He could have had a debate in a meeting hall somewhere, and they could both debate who's the real God. He, he, didn't, he didn't perform that way. He just said, okay, let's see who the true God, if it's Baal and or if it is God himself. And so before this takes place in the previous verses, he meets with the children of Israel. He says, how long are y'all going to vacillate between two gods and have two opinions? When are you going to make up your mind as to who the real God is? Why are you flirting with another God? God has already told us don't have any other gods before him. He gave us four of his ten commands of his great commands in the scriptures relating to himself. Why are you even considering another relationship, a union with another God. How long will you stand before two opinions? And here's what he said. He drew the line in the sand. Here's the line. If you think Baal is God, you come over on this side of the line, you stand right here. But if you believe God of Israel is the God and the only true God, you stand. And he, he brought him to a place of decision. You once and for all got to decide 
who it is. And by the way, it's a reminder to us in the New Testament, you can't serve God and mammon the same. There's one God, one God. And he reminds them of that. And so he says, you know what? I'm going to use the influence I have as God's prophet to show them who God is. So he just called them up on a mountain one day and said, I know what we'll do. Why don't we let Ahab and all his 450 prophets call down fire on their altar? And you know the rest of that story. It didn't happen. They started cutting themselves and sacrificing themselves and just bleeding to death, sacrificing to their Baal God. The scripture says, Elijah starts lying, hey, boys. <laughs> Call unto, is he sleeping? Where is your God? He's mocking them, the scripture says. And about that time, he saw no blood around at all. He said, boys, get out of the way. Your time is done. It's time for God to do something. And so here's his influence. Can you see it? And he begins to repair this altar that was broken down. I began seeing in scripture how this applies to us. There's some repair work that is needed before we come to the petition of our praying. To, to the real intimacy, what we desire of God to perform. It's a conditional thing. Matter of fact, someone said prayer is unconditional. No, 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 no. God answering prayer is very conditioned upon your part as well. What is your part? What are you supposed to do before you pray? Well, I'm glad you asked. We're going to go to the Word for just a few minutes and see if we can digest some of the answers that will be helpful to us. Elijah didn't build a new altar, but rather he repaired an old altar. And there's significance in that we'll see in just a moment. He, he took an old altar that was broken around. That's what he was looking for. Now, he could have just built a new one. But he, there's something influential I see here that he, he, in, his, in his presentation, it's, it's, he knows that the children of Israel are watching him in this contest. Probably some of the Baal followers as well. What the man doing? He's taking an old, where, anybody see an old altar around here somewhere in this mountain? Oh yeah, they're going over here. And he goes to that old altar that was broken down and he repairs it. And I believe this morning in prayer that God wants you to repair some things in your life before you pray. God wants you to repair some things in your life before you pray. What needs repairing in your life in relation to prayer before you pray. I'm going to read some scriptures. We'll just put the text on the screen, several of them. The first one, Psalm 66 and verse number 18. Listen to what God's eternal word says about repairing before we pray. It says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Okay? Let's flip that verse on the other side. If the iniquity in my heart has been removed, I can be assured that God will hear me when I pray. Ding dong, ding dong, ding dong. What's something that I need to do by way of repairing before I pray? Okay? Remove the iniquity. Stop the sin. God won't hear the sinner ever pray without confession and recognition of that sin and dealing with it first. Once you dealt with it, God's ears are wide open to hear when you pray. See, I believe this. I believe the Bible does teach me that God hears the prayer of the righteous, not the sinner. You don't hear the sinner's prayer. 
you got junk in your life now, I just tell you, on the authority of God's word, God's not going to hear you pray. You're wasting your time. It ain't going nowhere. You got to do something first before you believe he's going to hear you. And if you've got sin in your life, God's word says God will not hear you pray. Can I get an amen there? That's the word of God. Let's go to the second one. Proverbs chapter 28, 9. Here's the second thing that you need to do before you pray. It's some repair work. Psalm 68, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Proverbs 28, verse 9. He that turneth his ear from hearing the law, his prayer will be an abomination to God. What does that say? If I enter into prayer and my life is diverse from his word and from his law and from his command, the, it, it, it's an abomination to God to come to him when I've been separated from his word. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to his word. The word of God is a preface to our praying. It is first before we enter into our prayer. Separating the law from God answering prayer is not biblical. We, we, we stand upon his word. Uh, we did something yesterday. I very much appreciate it. I appreciate the men's prayer meeting yesterday morning. I'm not here to toot your name in any way or form, but you did something yesterday. I want to introduce the church in days to come about scriptural praying. You walked through a passage with us and introduced us to the word. It opened our hearts to be able to come boldly to a strong when we got that measure of his word. Listen, you don't separate his word if you're not reading and studying and walking and observing and obedient to his word. When you pray, God thinks it stinks. Why would you come to me and pray when you don't have the word abiding in you and you're walking in obedience to me? So, he that turns his ear from hearing what I have to say in my word, his prayer shall be an abomination. I want to ask you something. Is that where you need to repair before you pray? The value of his word, the purpose of his word, the treasure of his word in my heart is God's word. Here's one. Now, you might want to buckle your seatbelt a little tighter on this third one. Look in Matthew chapter 5 what the word says in verse 22 and 23. Here's what it says. Therefore, when you bring your gift and make a presentation to the altar, okay? This is just an application, not the interpretation, but an application here. And there when you're at the altar and something comes to mind, and that is that thy brother hath ought against you. Stop your prayer meeting right there. Move away from the altar. And go back and get right with your brother. And then come back and start your prayer meeting and ask me what you want of me. If I am not right, and if someone is not right, and I have made no effort to clear the air, to remove the accusation, to, to work through a conflict, it is difficult for us to believe God will answer us 
when we're not right with someone else. And if that wasn't good enough, let me let you buckle your seatbelt up another notch or two. And this is for my brothers here today, especially those that are married. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 7. We're talking about doing some things before you pray. Because we're going to be talking about prayer for the next few weeks. I'm introducing to you some things that you need to be doing before you pray. Here's another one. We're talking about repairing some things. Look at this one, husbands. Likewise, you husbands, dwell with the wife according to knowledge, with understanding. English Standard Version says knowledge, King James talks to us about as unto the weaker vessel. That's what reminds us. And as being heirs together of the grace of life. Why do we need to do that? That your prayers will not be hindered. Looks like I ought to do something here before I pray. It don't make sense to believe God's going to hear my prayer if I can't be a liver and an example, and walk in obedience to what his word says in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 7. And by the way, the wife is the weaker vessel. If you don't understand that, you go home, study your scriptures, get someone else that's more mature than you in the faith to explain that. And you walk together with the weaker vessel in marriage, according to having knowledge of who she is and the harmony that is needed, knowing you're put together as the heirs of God's grace in life. And if you're missing that one, guys, your prayers are going to get hindered. If you don't have much of a good marriage, God's not going to hear you pray. You got you to get this thing going. You got to make it right. You got to make the attempt. And so we found out this morning that if I've got sin in my heart, God won't hear me. If I'm separated from his word, my prayer is like an abomination. If I've got ought against another brother, I need to leave the altar and take care of that business, then come back. I found out this morning, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse number 7, that you know what? There needs to be a harmonious thing in marriage that's so needed for God to not have my prayers hindered from entrance, but to make sure they can flow freely to the throne of grace. There's repair work. And so the first thing Elijah's doing, he, he, he's repairing something that's broken down. Now, I'm just making an application. Sometimes in our lives, if we want God to hear us when we pray, we need to take time to fix the things that are broken down in our lives. You see, a little further, it talks about if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just forgives us our sins. All of our unrighteous, 1 John chapter 1, verse number 9. The psalmist says in Psalm chapter uh, 32, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin has been uncovered. And that's you uncovering that sin, not hiding it, but facing it for what it is, calling it for what it is, and uncovering your sin before the Lord. Psalm 51, have mercy upon me, the psalmist said, when he recognized his sin. He knew what it was. According to thy loving kindness, according to thy, thy tender mercies, he asked for all of his sin to be blotted out, all my transgressions to be blotted out. He's going through a repair process. Lord, I've got the sin. Lord, I've got iniquity in my heart. You won't hear me. Lord, I've not been following your word. It's an abomination to come and pray like that. Lord, I've got uh, disharmony in my relationships. 
I need to go make it right with somebody. Lord, I'm struggling in being in marriage to my spouse as being in my part as the one heir, but heirs together of God's grace. And so the recognition, it's there. But then it leads us to the actual repair work is when we begin to confess it. And when to begin to confess it. Did someone say it like this, that the first prayer that God ever hears of anybody is that prayer of who I am? I recognize, Lord, I am a sinner. That's that ABCs of a leading someone to Christ to admit you are a sinner. That's what you need to do before you pray. Even as a Christian, you need to come before God and name your sins. You need to seek God for his cleansing power in your life to remove them. And you confess them. You ought to come to a place, the Lord, I commit to never do that sin again. I have sinned against you and you only by son. I sin. I've done this evil in thy sight. And so I'm telling you that the best way to get your prayers answered is to do something before you pray. And that is take time to make sure your life is aligned in his word and for what it says, you see. And so the recognition of sin and the evil in my life, doing something about it and then confessing it before God is the repair work that's needed. Then number two, notice what he did. He prepared. He prepared. Look at this. As you go a little further in the text, you begin to sing his preparation. Elijah took 12 stones. He ain't prayed yet. He's still working. He's doing some things before he prays. I just want to give you another thought. It's just an application. It's all it is. And someone's going to be using this week, I guarantee you. <laughs> Some of y'all done got it figured out. You wrote down that repair word, and God spoke to your heart, and you knew and know you are wrong with that, and God has already spoken to you, and so this week you're going to repair. But before you start that prayer meeting in the morning, will you take some time to prepare before you pray? That's what Elijah did. Everybody's watching him. What's that guy doing? I thought all we're going to do is get a pen, light a fire, and let, watch the Lord light a fire without any matches and do a miracle. No, we see Elijah. He's repairing an old altar broken down, and he's preparing. He gets 12 stones. And I like this. And there's so much application in this passage. I just don't want to take it so far with you this morning. But he took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two seeds of seed. And he put the wood in order. What an application. He cut the bull in pieces. There's another application. And laid it on the wood, and he said, fill four barrels with water. Pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. He said, do it a second time. They did it a second time. Do it a third time. They did it a third time. The water ran about the altar and filled the trench also with water. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and began to pray. But notice his preparation. Just a few applications from this passage. When we talk about this preparation, he prepared. And here he is uh, repairing uh, would have been enough for God to answer his prayer, but Elijah is so confident that God will answer. He takes a further step to honor the Lord, to demonstrate in front of these people that were backslidden, to watch and see in this preparation what he was up to to see God do something great and mighty in their sight. The altar was prepared in old ways that Israel would recognize. They understood the 12 stones. 
Moses did it with 12 stones. Joshua used 12 stones. He's repairing the altar that was broken down. But then there are some new ways, and so he introduces some new ways as he comes to this altar. These are some ways that the children of Israel ain't never seen before. I can see them on that hill, these backsliders. What in the world that man doing? What's our preacher doing? We ain't never seen it this way before. And what are some new ways? What he did, he took the word of the Lord in verse number 31. He had the word of the Lord in his preparation. He, he, the, the place that he was doing this prayer time particularly was at this appointed place of verse number 32 at the altar. The ingredients he used in this measure was wood in order and a bull in pieces. Now, I'd, probably, I'd just probably slap the whole cow on right, bull right on top of that fire. I, you know me when I start a fire. If you ever see me start a fire, I don't put no wood in order. I just stack it and let it go. And uh, but he, he's putting it in order. He's taking this bull and he's cutting it in pieces. But then he does something that just ain't never been seen before. He applies something new. And this is kind of challenging. We may talk about this at later times about prayer. Sometimes it's good for you to be personalized in your praying in the way that you pray, and be creative in your preparation of prayer. Look at his creativity, doing something. He's doing the old. He's got some old ways he's keeping in place. But Elijah the prophet is adding some new ways. And so he's digging a trench. He's calling for some barrels of water. He begins to put water inside. What is going on here? He's preparing the altar in a new way that's not been prepared before. And it's not so much in order for God to come through, but I believe his heart intent was God is going to do something among the hearts of these people that I don't want them to see any mistake about it that God did. I don't want them to think that I snuck a match behind my coat pocket and while I was down there praying and crying to God, I lit the match and, and I tricked him somehow. I'm going to get this altar loaded with water and all this wood soaked in water an unbelievable amount of water and when the fire comes it's going to be so hot they're going to watch this water just get licked up into the fire and consume it all he knew that he wanted to demonstrate the mighty power of god in front of all the people that god was able to do exceeding what seemed like was impossible for man to do to see a huge fire fall down on some waterlogged wood sitting in the water to God to light a fire. And so he prepared the altar of the Lord. Uh, chapter 36 was something not so much unique, but he did it at the time of the evening sacrifice, the time of the oblation, as was before. But he included some new things in the measure of his preparation in praying. And there's something sweet about it. Sometimes, sometimes the way we pray kind of uh, gets stalemated and gets a little bit, you know, monotonous and is not real fresh. And so he brings forth the freshness of his preparation and prayer. And we'll, uh, we'll deal on that just a bit later in the next couple of weeks about, about that presentation and preparation for prayer. And so the result of repairing and preparing before praying, then praying the proper prayer is found in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 36. And let's look at this prayer, and we'll close on this text this morning. It's only 32 words in the Hebrew language. At one time I counted it's the King James Bible. I think it interprets to 63 English words as this prayer. It's a short prayer. 
but notice his prayer. And there's some good application about this prayer. The content of his prayer was for God's people in relation to the real God. And notice what he prays in verse number 36. He prays, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Two things he's prayed. He's praying that, the, that, that, that God could be known among his own people. And then he says, Lord, with my influence, they're watching me. Let my life be such a glowing testimony of someone who, who knows what it is to repair something and to prepare before I come and ask you for something. To know that I am a person that's able to get God to move on my behalf. To, let them see that my prayers can be answered. He, 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 he wants them to, his prayers, Lord, let confirm to these people here in just a few minutes that I am an anointed man of God. I am a servant of the Lord. And you are pleased by my work. So he prays a second thing, that they would be, be affirmed to the fact that he's a servant of the Lord. And then verse number 36, he prays that God's word can be seen and known among them. And he, he, he said, I, I want you to know that I've done all these things at your word. This is what God has spoken. This is what I am doing. It's interesting when God puts something in your heart to do something, you got people that walk around you and watch your life, and they have no doubt that God put that in your heart to do it. You see? Don't you talk about being a good Christian and getting your prayers answered and loving Jesus and having influence. Listen, a life watched, a life beheld from a distance just to watch the actions and the attitudes and the appearance of a person who's anointed of the Lord doesn't need to be displayed by a sign that that person wears. It's such an evident thing that that person has got the word of the Lord upon them. But that's his prayer. Lord, let them know that I've done these things at your word. And then he prays in verse number 37, that I've done this at your word and that you have turned their hearts back. They're not halting between two opinions. No more. They done confessed and repented how sinful they were to put their eyes towards Baal. They're back. They've come back. Lord, bring the backslider back. That's all he prayed. Interesting to me. I wouldn't have prayed that prayer. I just prayed, Lord, light the fire in Jesus' name. Boom. <laughs> Lord, do what I want. I'd be in that area where I'm consuming things on my desires and my lust. Do, do it my way, Lord. I'd be dictating to God how to perform his work. But he didn't do that. Lord, it kind of reminds me what Jesus taught me. Just pray the Lord's will be done. Pray that his kingdom can be seen and known today. That, that's what he prayed. Lord, thy will be done. And so, Lord, I pray these people will know the true God that I'm your servant. Lord, that they might understand and have opened to them that the word of God has been seen and known among them, that they would turn their hearts back. And the prayer was answered. And the result of repairing and preparing before praying 
then there's the praying. The proper prayer is found in verse 38. The result was the fire of the Lord came. The fire of the Lord came. What else was seen? Well, I don't have time for this, but verse 38 says this. God's power was seen. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. You see, God's power was seen that day. That's what they saw. And then verse number 39, they noticed something else. They noticed the praise of God. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is the Lord. God's praise was known that day. Then you go to the next verse, verse number 40, God's protection was made. You remember those 450 prophets that were trying to influence these people away from the Word of God? God began to protect these people that be on the scene no more. And He gathers the 450 prophets in verse number 40. Don't let one of them escape. Catch them and seize them. And they seized them. And Elijah brought every one of those 450 prophets down, and he slaughtered all 450 prophets. See God's protection? And then verse number 41, I like this. You see his provision? It was then in that drought moment that the rain descended and was getting ready to fill the place with water. And God gave a tremendous amount of provision but was actually needed for the people of Israel. It was a confirmation that the Lord is God. Elijah's his servant. Oh, yeah. It, it, it's a confirmation that God was seen and God was known on this day. And the confirmation by their lives that were lived, those people changed and turned back to God, and the prayer was answered. I want to ask you a question concerning prayer. What is needed to be repaired in your life before you pray? What needs preparing in your life before you pray? And then what will the prayer be after you completed the first two? And keep your mind and open as we go on a prayer journey these next few weeks. I hope it will be helpful to you. I hope you'll learn just a few lessons and take some things that God will speak to your heart so that we can know the value that we have as God's people to pray and to be heard when we pray.